Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, it's Steve, and welcome to number four of the Recovery Rambling series. I haven't done one of these for a while. It's been a mad few weeks, but also, I thought it'd be good to do one today on Thursday the 3rd of September because I've just dropped my kids back to school yes I'm free free from the burden of looking after my own children I love them dearly but I'm free it's gone it's over until three o'clock. I'm gonna have to go and pick him up again. Uh, but actually, this is quite a big moment, I think, in the world that we're living in right now. Getting the kids back to school is how the, for me, is a really important part of the world, getting back, taking these steps back to normality. And if we can get through the next month or two to half term probably, maybe till Christmas, without having to close schools even on an isolated basis, I think we can all start to look forward to a brighter 2021. But if, uh, if we hadn't been able to do that, then I think... everything next year is going to be way harder and they're already obviously talking about pushing GCSEs and A-levels back to give the kids who missed their chance or missed their learning in the summer term to catch up So you can imagine what it'd be like if we had missed the autumn term as well. Yeah, everything gets pushed back much longer than you think, the knock-on implications of cancelling stuff. It's pretty significant. So, kids are back to school. So today's recovery ramble is also going to talk about that mentality, the back to school mentality and it's, you know, I think the expression back to school, it's not really an expression but you know what I mean, it's been the preserve of retailers for a number of years, you know, get your pencil cases, get your school uniforms, all that sort of stuff, get ready for back to school, but in my years as an adult working, I've noticed that you know, August has been quieter and quieter 
and we've adopted a more European model to the way that we work. Spend less time in the office, less time at your desk for the month of October, but come back refreshed in September and ready to go. And I've really always, always noticed it. And it may well be because a lot of the senior people in businesses, the leaders, the businesses have kids. They spend time with them over the summer, go on holidays, because they have to go when the kids are on holiday. And so progress on lots of things stalls during August, but they come back and they're refreshed and they're ready to go. And they're thinking about 2021. As I'm sure many people are. And really what this plays to today is, you know, what I've talked about before, that people, oh, a bit hilly. Lots of people are reflecting. You used the last five months of, or five and a half months of me, away from normal as an opportunity to rethink, rethink priorities, what's important, rethink working lives, rethink running goals. And so, what I wanted to talk about today was one of the factors that might challenge us in that reflection process that might stop us from moving forward and that's the subject of imposter syndrome The reality is, our lives have changed. They may well feel like they're coming back to some normality in some aspects, or you're getting more used to the way things are now. But in others, things have changed immeasurably. Booking a swimming or booking yourself in for a swim, as an example. Booking yourself in for a run, even. The way that we race, the way that we work, the way that we go out and eat. So we're all sitting somewhat outside of our comfort zone most of the time. And, as I say, if you're of that mindset where you're reflecting and you're thinking differently about your life, you're even further outside of your comfort zone. And the comfort zone is a lovely place to be. Being out of it is challenging. It requires self-belief, not self-doubt. 
and very often in what we do as we're stepping outside our comfort zone we're doing something that somebody else has already done is already doing so it feels like or it can feel like you are stop it, stepping into their arena and you can feel like they're more worthy of being in that arena than you it might be it might be that they've been doing it for longer or it might be that they talk about it more or it might be that they're more qualified or you might just think they're better so you feel like you're an imposter in someone else's world and actually imposter syndrome where we don't feel like we belong goes a little further than that and it's often attached to the way that we own our successes and our limitations and quite often you find with people who are exhibiting imposter syndrome where they feel like they don't belong somewhere and it holds them back creates low self-esteem lack of self-confidence self-doubt it's often because they don't own the things that they've done well they put it down to luck we're humble in Britain in particular we don't like to take credit for our successes like to thank other people or like I say put it down to luck and the flip side of that coin is that often with our limitations we can blame others as well or blame other factors and not take responsibility for it uh, so today What I wanted to talk about was the subject of imposter syndrome. What I think about it, my own experiences of it, and some thoughts on how to deal with it. Again, based on my own experiences, but also based on some degree of psychological insight. Not my own, of course things that I've read Um, and the first thing I want to say about imposter syndrome the sense that you don't belong that you're not worthy of being in the arena that you're trying to be in is that it affects the majority of people some studies show that 70% of people have experienced imposter syndrome at some point in their life. So you're in good company. I'm just jogging through Epping Forest today, as usual. I'm actually doing my loop. I often do, but in reverse. 
So I feel a little bit outside my comfort zone now. So, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was where does imposter syndrome actually come from? How do we create it? Because it is our creation. The feelings are real, but feelings are just about us. And this is interesting, so for me, imposter syndrome is about perfectionism and about shame. And those two things are two sides of the same coin, if you, look, if you will. They come hand in hand and they are the backbone of imposter syndrome. So starting with perfectionism, I mean perfectionism is a really fascinating trait, where people often seek to minimise self-doubt by doing everything they can to line everything up. But of course, the problem with perfectionism is that if you're of that mindset, you are constantly feeling judged and you may well be being judged and you will make mistakes. And when you make those mistakes, as a perfectionist. They will influence your confidence in yourself and in your abilities. And in an ever-decreasing spiral, you find yourself trying to plug those gaps, furiously trying to make things as mistaken, judge-free as possible. Which, of course, is nigh on impossible to do. Especially in today's social media world. I've talked before about the binary and judgmental nature of Twitter in particular social media in general where you can be made to feel undervalued or unvalued by a stranger with a one-liner so perfectionism be debilitating and for me I've talked about this before 
it's one of the reasons why I focus on substance over style. I definitely feel that I won't get everything right. Even in this podcast, there'll be bits that will irritate you. There'll be little pauses. I'm sure I say, er, every now and then. You'll be looking out for it now. Even my accent's probably bothering you. Well, I can't worry about that. I can get my point across and it's of value to even one person then I'm happy now the other side of that coin as I say is shame and shame can often be confused with guilt but they're different guilt is when we make a mistake we feel bad about that mistake may well apologise for our mistake but we don't tie our self-worth to that mistake we recognise it as an action we took that led to an outcome we didn't want morning morning a couple of horses another one up ahead for a shame we might make those mistakes, same mistakes, but we attach our self-worth to it. It suggests shame, suggests we're flawed. As people, not just made a mistake. And shame suggests we don't belong. Morning. Shame will tell us we're not worthy. And you know, you take a really simple example. At work, you might produce a bit of work, a report maybe, or a presentation, a document, some data, I don't know what it doesn't matter what it is and you might send it to a client or to your boss and they go, ah, this is it's not what I wanted, it's not good enough. And guilt is just recognising that you've made a mistake. Acknowledging it, feeling bad about it and moving on. So shame is where we take it on and say, okay, so my report's not good enough. That must mean that I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy. And it creates a completely different emotional response than shame. That's no, sorry, than guilt. It really suggests you know, I'm not intelligent enough, I'm not bright enough to be in this room. I'm not qualified enough to talk about this subject. And that's something that 
I feel sometimes and have felt certainly in the past on my journey to being a coach even today to be honest I'm no expert in imposter syndrome just got a point of view and I'll probably make some mistakes but obviously often when you feel like that when you feel I'm not intelligent enough I'm not bright enough I'm not qualified enough you translate that even further into I'm not good enough and that's a horrible place to be and that's true in running too you know when we're moving up levels moving through our range of pacing perhaps moving up to compete at a level we thought was previously beyond us we feel like the people we're now competing against are too good we hold them in such high esteem we beat ourselves down and then that's perpetuated if you have a bad race against them and so it goes on and it's that shame of not being good enough that is really damaging in the course of your pursuit of new milestones there we go weave the milestone pursuit in there shamelessly now what makes all this worse in today's world as I said is is social media and also working in isolation at home often you can sense judgement or support or compassion for your mistakes or your shortcomings when you're with people and you can see them look them in the eye face to face and people are much more humble when they're face to face whereas in a Zoom environment it's impossible to read everyone's emotions and everyone get a feeling for how people are reacting to what you're saying or doing and it's even worse in a text-based environment emotion, intonation and compassion are virtually impossible to convey and it's very easy to build up a sense of self-doubt when you type a message to someone that you really thought through and they may either well the worst thing is they don't respond and then you've got no idea what they're thinking and then the next thing and we all do that and the next thing is that they misinterpret it which is even worse all challenging stuff and of course as a side point that's why we develop the language of emojis to try and convey some emotion whether it's humour sadness the little winky eye so everyone knows you're telling a joke 
but beware of that as well because recently I found out from Alice Alice Williams that the thumbs up emoji which I thought you know that's a good one tell everyone I agree with what they're saying that's fine let's move on no no the thumbs up emoji is is sarcastic it's a sign of indifference oh my god really so now we've got emojis that are difficult to interpret so really what I'm saying there is that all these things and I haven't even touched on social media and the role of the troll in our self esteem and maybe that's a subject for another day but really what I'm trying to get across is that these things are sticking plasters over the issue of perfectionism and shame that creates imposter syndrome you have to you have to get to the root of the problem to really fix it and I'll talk about that in a short while but I also wanted to talk about something really interesting around our reaction to both shame as it might be exhibited in any context and imposter syndrome because there are parallels and typically when faced with imposter syndrome people react in one or more of three ways they fight they take flight or they people please and fighting is a classic one you see on social media that someone posts something somebody else tells them they're wrong or worse that they're an idiot or a fool or ridicule them in some way and the response is to fight back is to hold your ground maintain your position argue from a, an assumed position of unassailable authority and then watch as the debate runs and runs and runs because the other person takes or the other people take exactly the same position and we do this because we don't feel worthy and we feel the need to defend we need to defend our position just running under the, under the N25 just going through a little tunnel that's the M25 you can hear now lovely and it's that nature of fighting when feeling shame that gets us into a lot of trouble it can help us deal with the situation in the very short term and I'd say a good example of people who are fighting right now are the government 
doesn't matter what the subject is at the moment Covid or not Covid it seems that they are completely prone to this but they might know that they're at their depth they might well they might feel out their depth but instead of recognising that and dealing with it as we'll come on to in a minute they fight but what they also do is the second one which is they take flight they refuse to be interviewed by Piers Morgan for example and what they're doing there is they're leaving the arena and when imposter syndrome comes that can be a really common response is you're in it, you're in your, you've stepped into your new arena you're outside of your comfort zone, you're feeling a bit nervous totally understandably it gets a bit hard well it gets very hard and your instinct tells you to run away get out of the arena put yourself somewhere safe again and people do that in running when they're pushing themselves so let's say you train well to get to a certain level of fitness your race is coming up maybe let's say it's a marathon everyone's saying oh yeah you got it you can do this three hours or whatever the number is got really high hopes and you know self-doubt creeps in and you bail on the race or you have a few beers the night before you self-sabotage you fly from the situation and you don't take ownership of it the third area or the third thing that people do when they feel shame as I said they fight they take flight and they people please and this is one I'm really prone to at least try anyway in this context what people do is they overcommit to the people that support them and again in the binary world of Twitter and the divisive world of politics this happens a lot and it creates echo chambers it creates a sense that you're okay because you're with people who agree with you and who value you and rate you and you only want to spend your time with those people but that can often limit your own growth and when you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone it's probably important to consider new and different angles and in the world of work I think that's critical you're trying to develop whether it's seeking a promotion taking on more responsibility getting involved in new projects 
people pleasing and just committing to the people that support you isn't going to get you very far. What you also do in this answer, and the reason you don't get very far in that is because you're then unable to bring the people who don't support you maybe because they just don't even know you you can't bring them with you oh I'm at Copped Hall now which is a really nice old stately home on the north side of the N25 it's derelict it's not as grand as Downton Abbey but it really reminds me of it not that I've been to Downton Abbey but I've watched the whole set of programmes don't judge me please don't judge me it was a lockdown uh, what's the word morning Guilty pleasure, I think, that's the word. Not a shameful pleasure. A guilty one. Um, yeah, so back to people pleasing. What you also do, what people are also tempted to do, and I've done this myself, is you know, when challenged about your level of expertise and qualification for something, you seek more. You seek more education, qualification, and expertise and that's important and I think it is important to learn and to educate yourself but you, whilst doing that you have to recognise that there will always be people in your arena that you're stepping into that are more qualified more expert more educated more experienced now in my world of run coaching or coaching generally, you know, there's executive coaches with dozens of years of experience, leadership coaches, qualifications coming out of their ears, loads of experience, really good at what they do. And on the running side, there's, you know, I'm not going to be Christian Malcolm, the new head of, head of British Athletics Olympic Coaching. I'm not going to be Steve Magnus, many of you would have heard of, US former Salazar employee and whistleblower. He's very renowned as a coach, but also as a coach of coaches. Uh, now, I'm not even going to be as good as half the people on Twitter. So while education is important and trying to understand your stuff is important, morning. trying to be perfectionist in the level of qualification that you you have is not necessarily the answer to the feeling of imposter syndrome and people pleasing 
I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a bit. Now, all of those things, those three things, fighting, taking flight, or people-pleasing, can get you through it. They can get you through it in the short term. They can help you navigate a difficult colleague, member of staff, boss, Twitter troll, whoever it is, even your parents. They can help you. But it doesn't address the actual issue. That's a response to imposter syndrome. It doesn't stop you getting imposter syndrome and feeling imposter syndrome. And worse than that, often those responses are not authentic to you. You may not be someone who likes to argue. You may not be someone who likes to walk away. And you may not want to engage in the ideal world, in the out, in the act of people pleasing. And if you do those things and they're not authentic to you, they create even more self-doubt. Which makes the problem worse, not better. So, what do we do? Well, here's the bad news. It's really hard to fix it. And maybe impossible to fix it if we take on our perfectionist standpoint from a little earlier. But there are four things that I think we can do. And with each one of these, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my personal experiences. So those four things are to be brave. You knew that one was going to be in there, didn't you? To practice critical awareness. Number three is to embrace imperfection. And number four is to exhibit authenticity and vulnerability. So brave. When I talk about courage, the role of courage in our running and in pursuing milestones that exist outside our comfort zone. I'm just going uphill now, talking of being brave. I really am talking about the need to plug into your emotions and understand why your goal is important to you in the first place. This is the very first thing you can do when faced with imposter syndrome is to think to yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I putting this myself into this position where I feel like I don't belong, like I'm in someone else's arena. Why is it so important to me? Especially if I'm leaving an arena that I am comfortable in. And I do know where and I do belong in.
being brave in its own is not enough. Like I say, being brave is about digging into your emotions, understanding the true reasons why. And the reason I made the changes I made to my life were because I didn't want to look back on my career and my working life and my contributions and see just a successful career in media and advertising. I wanted to do something that added value to people in a different way, in a deeper way, I would argue, than I was able to achieve in that environment. And I wanted to do that through the vehicle of sport, which I believe is so powerful. that I wanted to share that with others. But in a way, it meant something. And a big driver in that, in my looking back, is my children. I want them to see that it's possible to go through life making contributions not chasing the dollars for chasing the dollar's sake and then we can live our lives in different ways that's what drives me drove me then it's probably eight years ago now I started the journey and it drives me now I've just run over the M25 again so the second area second thing we can do is practice critical awareness And this, of course, requires courage in itself. It requires you... Sorry. It requires you to be honest. About both your successes and your limitations. And to take ownership of them. And it requires you to know yourself. And to think about yourself in objective terms. Rather than applying emotion to the way you either are or you think you are and this is really important this whole area is about ownership so in the context of making mistakes is owning the mistake converting that shame into guilt rather than 
allowing it to debilitate you. But it also requires you to own your successes and own what you're good at. Imposter syndrome exists because we doubt ourselves. Remember, we think we're not good enough, we're not intelligent enough, we're not smart enough. We're not qualified enough, we doubt ourselves. But there's loads that you bring. And going back to my point earlier, I'm never going to be a physiological expert for the PhD. In physiology or exercise science or any other issue. I'm never going to be a track coach worthy of Christian Malcolm or even Chris Zarr. Muggy, isn't it? Uh, I'll say even Chris, that puts him down massively. He's a top coach. Uh, Yeah, I'm never going to have those experiences. Just as two examples, really. I'm not going to. But what do I bring? What can I do? And what I can bring and what I do have is nearly 30 years experience of working with people, of understanding how motivations work, understanding how stress impacts upon us. And really, for me, it's about understanding the relationship between our bodies and our brains. And that's what I focus on. Not for everyone I coach, some people want, just want a training plan. Funny. And I've become good at that too. Through practice, experience, learning, trial and error, education. And for me, my education and coaching is really interesting. So there are tons of qualifications you can do. I prefer, although I do seek those qualifications and some of them at least, often more as a statement than actually what I learned during the process. It's more about taking responsibility to educate myself on the issues that matter to the people I work with. So a lot of desk research, a lot of reading. a lot of seeking inspiration from the coaches whose arena I'm entering. And one of the key things to this whole area of critical awareness and of being really in tune with who you are and who you're not and what you are and what you're not is talking about it. We all know that talking about things makes it real. And also, you get a different perspective. talk to someone, someone you trust, 
about how you're doing or how you're feeling, you can find that you start to take ownership of what you are and who you are. They might give you feedback that surprises you, or they may just give you the opportunity to vocalise what's in your head so you can make sense of it. Okay, so the third thing we can do, if we've been brave and we've practised some critical awareness, is to embrace our imperfections. And in this, comparison culture has got to go. It's really easy in this day and age in social media where people often present an image of themselves they wish to project rather than the truth. Probably and often because the truth isn't that exciting. You can feel like you're not worthy. So instead of trying to seek perfection and instead of trying to seek perfection and understand and try and pick yourself against others and create self-doubt because what you're reading and seeing suggests that you're not at the same calibre embrace the fact you're not perfect embrace your imperfections again take ownership of them and even one of the things I've done early was social media was awash with running hints and tips and advice and it, I worked out pretty early I wasn't so good at it as some other people so I was neither going to try and compete nor waste time comparing myself but I still do it I still look at other people and think oh no look what they're doing but the reality is Nine times out of ten. You're seeing a false perspective and you're interpreting success and glory and happiness and positivity by what other people are posting based on your interpretation, not on theirs. So just think back to when you posted something in which you had a positive response. Did you feel like everything was cracked and sorted and you were a hero and a legend? Probably not. So nor would they be. So let's avoid those unhealthy comparisons. Doesn't mean you avoid social media, you don't take flight from it, for example the comparisons and the negative comparisons in particular that are the issue and this is again why I value substance over style about what you do not just what you say okay and then the last area you'll be glad to know is 
about displaying authenticity and vulnerability. Now, if you're in another person's arena, or you feel like you're in another person's arena, then it's probably okay to say you don't know something. It's probably okay to say you're sorry. Or to acknowledge that someone else's perspective is correct and you may have learned something from them. Or it's it's okay to say that you found it hard. Or you find it hard. This is difficult for me. I'm in a new space. And a good example of all that for me is the podcast. It started out as a response to not being able to see groups and coach groups. They got positive feedback from the people that bothered to kindly give me feedback. There'll be loads of people who didn't give any feedback who would have hated it and dismissed it. And that's totally cool. And then I did a few more recordings. Seemed to take hold. People seemed to value it. And it sort of grows. But all the way through, my greatest fear was imposter syndrome. It was, I'm not a broadcaster. I'm not a technical guy. I didn't even know how to put one on the internet and get it out there. And all that stuff terrified me. So instead of the perfectionist in me would have said right you need to educate yourself you need to get all the kit you need to get some expert help you need to pay this and pay that to get high production value get a jingle and all that stuff and I wanted to value do what was true to me and be authentic and value substance over style so it's about the content rather than the presentation of it. And for me, it couldn't be simpler. Just recording as I run, downloading the audio file, occasionally doing an edit when uh, I get chatting to a groundsman at Rolling Valley Rec who starts to tell me his version of the world that perhaps might lead him into some trouble. But what that does as well, what, what it's done for me as I've gone through this process with the podcast is, you know, as I've got more confident in the delivery and the substance, if you will, the value of what I say and do to those few people that still listen, 
as I've got more confident, I start to think about style more. And think, okay, so if the substance is there, probably the next stage to contributing to people and getting it into people, if I think it's of value to people, is to improve the way it's marketed and the way it comes across. And now it doesn't feel like such a stretch because I focused on authenticity, so I focused on substance, that's authentic to me, rather than starting off by starting off with whistles and bells that I felt would make it hard for me to create something of substance that I could sustain because that's the other challenge with lots of these things is keeping at at it even though it's hard the good news on that is I think this is the fourth recovery rambling session and it's worth listening back to the other three if you come back to this one fresh and they give you a sense of who I am and some of the things that I talk about and think but I mean that's just the recovery rambles I think it's 40 odd episodes now of run coaching sessions of all different types So, there we are. Those are the things that I think we can do to help deal with imposter syndrome at its root. So, being brave. There's four things. Being brave, practicing critical awareness, embracing your imperfections, and displaying authenticity and vulnerability. And then, hopefully, you'll be tempted less to fight or take flight. Or people, please, be comfortable with who you are, what you do, and why you do it. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm nearly home. Drop the kids off at school jogged around the forest, it's been lovely a bit muggy I've enjoyed the chat, it's made me think and good luck with your own back to school mentality and I'll be back again very soon for more take care, thanks for listening 